You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read that in just a moment. Uh, church, a bearing compass is, was a, kind of a cutting edge thing. It was a compass that could be moved around a ship. But people began to notice that the compass bearing could vary from one part of the ship to another. So in 1538, it was actually the explorer J. De Castro, maybe some of Tony's uh, ancestors, who uh, was the first to report the inconsistency. And he attributed it to the, uh, the ship's gun, which likely had like iron ore in it, which throws the compasses off. And of course, later they found there's all sorts of uh, items on a ship that could uh, cause what they call compass deviations, right? Like iron nails in a, in a wooden compass box or metal parts of uh, clothing or iron particles in the, in the brass compass ball themselves. And since iron components were being used more and more in the 1800s in ships, they developed a solution for measuring the magnetic deviation to correct the compass readings, right? It it became standard practice. And it's quite often that the compass headings of our homes get interference, right, from magnetic deviations. Can you think of any magnetic deviations (laughs) from a perfect home? Uh, So what truths can we learn today that will help us uh, develop a standard practice of more fully understanding our compass readings. We've seen a few weeks ago a kingdom comparison where God compares uh, saving faith to the attributes of a child. I just, even with a little child, sang out after one of the songs in the, in the message earlier. I thought, boy, that's perfect. That's how we ought to be, <laughs> crying out. Uh, then we've seen a reliance relocation last week of transferring our, our parental authority priority from ourselves to God. And today, we need a compass calculation, all right? What we need to find the magnetic deviations, all right? So let's read 1 Samuel 1. You can stay seated because this is a large portion, but hang with me in this story, all right? These are the words of God, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, uh, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina uh, had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord uh, of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So she obviously had, uh, was, had many children. But to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, that's Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, uh, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more than, to you than 10 sons? And they 
after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Uh, she, Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. That's a Nazarite vow, basically. Uh, verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of the great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, well, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. That's Elkanah and his family. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, intimately. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him, which could go on to even age five back then. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. I want to ask Jordan Fisher to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Jordan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time that we can be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship and praise you and to receive this message from your word. We thank you for Pastor Went and for the time that he spends preparing these messages for us each week. Uh, just pray at this time that you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds on the mission that you've given us as parents to raise up our children, to know you, to love you, and to trust you. We thank you for your love and your grace and for the hope that we have because of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Well, before we get uh, too far into this text, I, I want to explain a basic truth of God so that no one's confused. Polygamy is sin. All right? <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that we should think of polygamy in biblical times as the same way we think of it now. But any of my explanations of why polygamy takes place or took place back then doesn't discount the fact that it's sin. Y'all with me? 
all right? I'm gonna give some reasons, but they don't condone the sin of it. Now, we see it these days more in terms of like a, a cult-like control or some sinful sexual desire. But in biblical times, the times of the patriarchal societies, an unmarried woman could, uh, could rarely provide for herself. Women trusted their families, their fathers, their brothers. And then later on when they got married, they would trust their husband to be their primary source of provision and protection. It was common for uh, even for unmarried women to, to go into slavery or prostitution by force. That doesn't mean God condoned Solomon's 700 wives and all those concubines, all right? Uh, God's been letting mankind have his way for quite some time, so it's not odd that he lets things happen in Scripture that he doesn't condone. But God, in our fallen world, allowed polygamy. Uh, he even made provisions for it. He didn't burn up the earth because of polygamy yet. <laughs> but even though it was sinful, it did uh, protect and provide for women who couldn't uh, find a husband. And it was obviously not a perfect scenario, all right? It was still better than prostitution, slavery, and starvation, though. And just to be clear, in Ephesians 5, verse 22, it speaks of husbands and wives. It refers to both in the singular. For the husband is the head of the wife, singular. He who loves his wife, singular, loves himself. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, singular. And the two shall become one flesh. Each one of you uh, also must love his wife, singular, as he loves himself. And the wife, singular, must respect her husband, singular. Are there enough singulars in there to convince you? <laughs> right. God does forgive our sins, right? I mean, there is life after divorce. There is life uh, even for people who have multiple wives. Muslims who come to faith in Christ are, often have two to three wives, and they can't put those wives away. They have to care for them. So it's just not a best-case scenario, but it, there is redemption even in those situations. By the way, a second reason polygamy can't be approved by God is that the entire illustration of Christ's relationship with the church would break down. It's a husband and wife. It would mean that Jesus has multiple brides, right? And there is a third reason I'll mention in just a minute that's attributed to uh, polygamy in biblical times. So let's jump back into 1 Samuel 1. The heading of the house can be confusing, right? So magnetic deviations abound because the truth is Successful parenting, and this is really what I want to talk about today, it isn't always what it seems. You may see some parents that you see think are failures and some you think are successes, but it may be the exact, exact opposite. So what's the first encouraging uh, statement in calculating our compass? Well, first, I'm gonna give you three of these today. Cruelty, cruelty could be costly, all right? I think at some point we're all guilty of um, uncaring, an undeserved criticism of other parenting methods. Can we confess that? You may not have said it, but you thought it. Well, that was my kid. You never thought that. You ever thought that? Raise your hand, come on, confess. If that was my kid, <laughs> both hands up in the back, all right? So yes, we can learn from each other. Yes, we can glean from other people's mistakes or their successes, but many times we're just cruel 
And that cruelty could be costly. First Samuel 1 verse 1 says, there was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. Verse 2, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And since Hannah was named first, and since it says Elkanah loved her, it's most likely that Hannah, which by the way means grace, uh, it's most likely that uh, Elkanah took Hannah as his first wife, his romantic love wife, and when she couldn't have kids, he most likely took Penina as a second wife, which could have even been through the suggestion of Hannah. We don't know that, but Hannah could have even suggested it like Sarah did in Genesis 16.2. Sarah said to Abraham, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Either way, a third reason that promoted polygamy in biblical times is the lack of heir. If a, if a man of means had no heir, had no male heir to, his, to, to take on uh, his inheritance, he could lose it. Like literal generations were cut off. And this actually happened in that day. And uh, so to try to solve this, some people took second wives and there was even a, what's in the Bible, there was even a leveret, uh, Levi, uh, leveret marriage. And uh, you may remember in Matthew 22, verse 24, someone asked Jesus, teacher, uh, Moses said, if a man dies uh, having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for her, for his brother, right? One commentary noted that Elkanah's pedigree suggests that it would be important to him to have an heir to continue the family and also that he was prosperous enough to afford a second marriage. It's not like men wanted second marriages all the time, all right? This would cost them more money, but it, they, it would also cost them money if they didn't. So again, doesn't condone it. I'm only sharing all these things to prove the point that polygamy is not condoned by God. It did not seem to be motivated by lust, but more so by uh, producing offspring in the fear of losing one's possessions, all right? Which, by the way, did happen. However, as we can see by the story and by Abraham's situation, it created all kinds of problems in the home, uh, and one of those was cruelty from Penina to Hannah. 1 Samuel 1 verse 6 says, her rival, that's Hannah's rival Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. In case you're wondering why she mocked her, it was because of this. Now I know, uh, I don't doubt that teenagers and students and adults today have their own little, their own little things that create value in their relationships. And when another woman doesn't have that value, I'm sure other cruel women poke fun at that particular thing. I know men do it. Men have certain things that if a guy can't do it, they'll mock them for not being able to do it. And so I believe that's what was taking place. Uh, and by the way, the, the word uh, for provoke can sometimes be rendered torment or even enemy. And we've seen this before. Remember Genesis, I just mentioned this in Genesis 16, verse three, Sarah, Abraham's wife took Hagar and gave her to Abraham, her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, right? Meaning she despised Sarah for her barrenness. I'm providing something for this man that you can't. Now, it doesn't say this in scripture. 
I do think it may suggest it, but ancient Jewish tradition, there's, a, there's an old uh, Hebrew commentary called the Midrash. And though the Midrash isn't, we don't take it as Bible, uh, it's, it commentates on this. And it, it alludes to the fact that uh, Jewish tradition holds that Hannah, every time she would have a child, because she ended up, I believe, having six children, that Penina would lose two of hers. Now, we're not here to say whether that's punishment or whatever that's in the hands of God, but we can't prove that. What we can do is read Hannah's prayer. After she had these children, she prayed this incredible prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read the first six verses, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the rest of it later in the message. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. That's where cruelty gets costly. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble mind, the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. Here it is. And she who has many children is forlorn. And we don't know if that's Penina, reference to Penina or not. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Church, here's my point. <laughs> I believe one of the reasons God put this very specific detail in this story, he could have left it out and we would have gotten the point, but he put it in here. And I believe part of the reason was to keep us humble in our approach to parenting. All right. Yes, we can be thankful when we apply biblical principles in our home with our spouses to our children. And then we actually apply these biblical truths. And who knew they actually worked? Praise God. Right. But you moms and dads, you, we, you, we've got to remember that our value is not based on our expertise in parenting. That's not your value. Your value is in Christ. Uh, nothing you put your value in besides Christ is, wor is worth anything. And by the way, the success that you have doesn't come except by the hand of God. Please, by all means, give biblical advice in digestible doses, please. <laughs> Mother-in-laws, y'all pay attention now. But don't ever be so prideful as to think you're uh, you've arrived as a parent. I'm very grateful for our own children. Our, we have three of our four that have given their hearts to Christ and show signs of the Holy Spirit living within them. Praise God. Our oldest two are married and seminary and we're grateful. But don't you think for one second that I think I can put, take my foot off the gas of prayer and intercession for them. All my kids, they could reach 60, leave their wives and leave the faith. You think I don't know that? I am very, very much aware. I've lived long enough, and so have you, to see that we have to keep a foot on the gas and pray and intercede and trust the Lord with things and give him all the credit. And by the way, let me remind you, you can do everything right as a parent and still have a rebellious child. And you can do everything wrong as a parent and have a godly child. 
Who knew, right? <laughs> so it, it just keeps us humble. So cruelty can be costly because parenting isn't always as it seems. So be careful with your criticism and stay humble in your success. All right. Now, number two, crazy because the world's upside down. Crazy could actually be commitment. All right. First, we see the commitment of Hannah's husband, Elkanah. Uh, I really think that Elkanah and Hannah really loved each other. I think Hannah desperately wanted to give the husband she loved an heir. Right. However, because of Elkanah's polygamy, probably before today, you only saw him as some pagan rebel who really didn't have a real faith in God. I mean, who would have a real faith in God and do that, right? And yes, he did step outside the boundaries of God's perfect word, and there were consequences, earthly consequences, uh, that were obvious difficulties to deal with throughout his life, right? But there is life after sin, even as we deal with earthly challenges of that sin. And Elkanah was no different. But despite his sin, he was actually committed to at least three things. And I want to give you the three things that God's word says he was committed to. One was the worship of the Lord. He was faithful to the worship of the Lord. First Samuel 1 verse 3 says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Verse 19, they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of proof here that Elkanah took all of his family with him. And there are references to this uh, annual worship being part of an entire family feast in 1 Samuel 20, uh, verse 6 and verse 29. And 1 Samuel even ends, 1 Samuel 1, ends with verse 28, which says, Therefore I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he, which is better translated they, I won't get into the nuances of the Hebrew text, but it really is better rendered they worshipped the Lord there. Right? Elkanah wasn't standing alone doing that. So he was faithful to worship the Lord. Second, he was faithful to the Word of God. 1 Samuel 1 verse 21 says, The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. And Hannah, but Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. All right, so Elkanah believed God would do this, had done this. He gave credit to the Lord and he actually wanted the vow to be obeyed. Y'all understand he could have shut the vow down. Let me explain. Numbers chapter 30 verse 13 says any vow and any binding oath to afflict herself, her husband may establish or her husband may make void. So he didn't have to accept it, but he did accept it. He did trust the Holy Spirit in his wife's life, and Elkanah wanted this vow to be confirmed. Third, Elkanah was gracious to Hannah, his first, what I believe was his first wife. And this one just shows his faithfulness to the law, but also his graciousness to go beyond what the law required. All right, Deuteronomy 21, 16 says, on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, this is a man who would have two wives, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. 
right? So if he had one, two wives and he loved one wife more than the other, he can't choose which sons to give it to. He's got to give it to the firstborn son, whether he loves that wife or not. The inheritance has to go to them, all right? Now, Deuteronomy 21 is obviously not talking about inheritance. It's talking about, I mean, 1 Samuel is talking about worship. Deuteronomy 21 is talking about inheritance. So it's not apples and oranges, but I think it, it paints the picture uh, that Elkanah was trying to go beyond what the law required because he gave portions, though he didn't have to, to both wives. 1 Samuel 1 verse 4 uh, a double portion, I mean. First Samuel 1 verse 4 says, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters. Right? This is a lot of his livestock he's giving for this sacrifice to the Lord. And he wanted everybody to participate. Right? But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And it, was, it's, it makes a point to say that. Though the Lord had closed her womb, this was, a, this was that big of a deal in that time if a woman couldn't have a child, right? He even says in verse 8, Hannah, why do you weep? Why uh, and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, that's not some pining, whining husband being narcissistic, all right? I believe that's him saying, despite all the social pressures around you, Hannah, that puts pressure on you to make you wish you had given me a child in order for me to love you. I don't care what the culture says about what you have to give me to make me love you. I love you as you are barren. I think that is what he was saying. And you can misinterpret it if you're not careful and go, oh, what an arrogant little punk. <laughs> well, am I not better than 10 sons? No, that's not what he's saying. I believe he's showing his love for her and, and communicating to her. And uh, I believe he was committed to his responsibilities as a follower of God. I believe he was committed to God's word and I believe he wanted God's word fulfilled and I believe Elkanah was committed to Hannah, meaning he genuinely loved her. And I really wonder if Elkanah had been born in a different culture where inheritances could have been handled differently if he would have even married Penina. But we'll never know. All right, second, so we have the committedness of Elkanah, but we also have the committedness, uh, the commitment of Hannah herself. She was committed in the same way as Elkanah, uh, meaning she loved God, she loved his word. And from the Bible, we believe that she was actually more committed to the Lord than anyone else in the story, right? Including the priest, which we'll see in a minute, though she doesn't boast about that. But what seemed crazy to Eli was actually a sincerity of commitment on Hannah's part. Let me read this. In 1 Samuel 1 verse 9, we see Hannah, she's praying and vowing before the Lord. Y'all remember, we just read that. Then in verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And she's, she's praying, but she's not speaking. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and her lips, only her lips moved, and her voice wasn't heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And he reasoned to herself, before I go and confront her about this, let me just pray and see if this is true. Let me consult the Holy Spirit before I wound this woman's heart. Is that what he did? <laughs> no. It says, Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've, ne I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all, all along, I've been speaking out of the great anxiety and vexation of my heart. 
When I was uh, serving in Virginia, I was a student pastor there for about a decade, and um, I was, um, we had a, you know, a fairly large sanctuary, so it was pretty cavernous. It was when the lights were turned out, and I could hear, I was walking by one day during the middle of the week, and I could hear someone inside mumbling, and, it, and I thought, my first thought was there's a crazy person in our sanctuary wandering around in the dark right? So I did what they do in the horror movies. I just walked right in by myself. And, um, and, and I noticed there was, uh, as I approached, approached the, it had a, a large altar, similar to this, but with more steps. And this woman who turned out to be a South Korean woman was laying on that altar, weeping before the Lord. Now I didn't recognize her. Come to find out her son had actually attended our youth group sporadically but her name was Kyung Mendenhall. And Kyung got up. I, I came in from this side, I came in from, to a side door and she was laid on the altar and I was kind of approaching. I could barely see because the lights are out and I didn't want to like freak her out and turn all, you know, so I'm approaching, going over there to her and she gets up and she turned and looks at me and she says, Pastor Went. I'm like, okay, she knows my name. She said, I was just praying for you. And she started naming all my children. She said, I've been praying for your family just now and she was weeping and of course you know most people that might freak them out that humbled my heart just broke and Kyung Mendenhall became one of my greatest prayer warriors things aren't always as they seem and that includes parenting you want to talk about misreading a situation right Eli thought she was crazy drunk but she was actually a crazy committed parent and so trusting of God that she was willing and actually did give the son she wanted so desperately to the Lord. Parenting is not always as it seems, right? Humility is like commitment. It doesn't always announce itself, right? It shouldn't really. And it's often in a thousand little things that no one sees and no one need, needs to see because our hearts are seeking God's will for our family. Uh, despite all the magnetic deviations and accusations and misinterpretations that come at us. Cruelty can come in the form of ungodly criticism. So be careful with it, how you use it, and stay humble in success. Crazy may just be the highest form, uh, highest level of commitment a parent has, even when it's misinterpreted. And number three, character could be concealed. Now, we know Hannah's family had a somewhat concealed character, meaning they didn't go around announcing their holiness, right? They were just faithful and committed. But Eli's family, <laughs> priest, Eli the priest, that's a whole nother story. Do y'all know, remember Enron, the company Enron, didn't have the best financial practices? <laughs> Did you know it took them 16 years to go from $10 billion in assets to $65 billion? 10 years, remember, look, I mean, that's a lot of billions in there, right? Around $49 billion over 10 years. Do you know how long it took them to go bankrupt? 24 days. One commentator said the encounter between Eli and Hannah contains an ironic twist. Eli represents the corrupt and apostate leadership of the priesthood and Hannah represents the simple faith that issues from suffering and pain. 
Yet Eli mistakes her earnestness for drunkenness. The spiritual leader of the nation is unable to discern the spiritual significance of this woman's struggle. In the end, he recognizes in her the faith he was supposed to represent. After she's poured out her soul to Yahweh, she finds a new peace with herself and her circumstances. And if we keep reading, and I don't have time to, but Eli's sons, they were, they were having sex in the temple behind the curtain. I mean, they had all kinds of sins wailed against them. They were wicked. There was an incredible epic downfall of Eli's family and an incredible epic elevation of Hannah's. We read verses, we read verses one through six already, but let me finish her prayer. First Samuel two, verse seven. This is how God turns the whole world upside down. Things aren't always as they seem. 1 Samuel 2, verse 7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Let me tell you something. Some parents, they want athletics. They want academics. They want activities. You know, they want their kids to, to be involved in the hobbies and the sports that they, their interests that they were involved in. But Hannah wanted one thing. She wanted to dedicate her son to the Lord. But Eli, the priest, the whole time his family was falling apart. The final sentence of Hannah's prayer is unbelievable. 1 Samuel 2 verse 10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You know what that is? One scholar said that's uh, when, when Hannah prayed that, Israel had no king, right? They didn't have a king. She lived in the time of the judges, so her prayer is prophetic looking forward to the time when a king would rule the nation. Also, Hannah's reference to God's anointed is a clear messianic prophecy. The prediction that God would exalt the horn, which means increase the strength of the anointed king, was fulfilled in part in the reigns of David and Solomon. Both the ultimate anointed one, uh, but the ultimate anointed one, the Messiah, would be honored one day above all kings. Listen, church, don't judge a book by its cover, <laughs> right? Parents are dealing with more than you know. Be their encourager. You may get an opportunity to, to speak truth into their lives, but encourage. Don't pull down. Cruelty could be costly. Crazy could be the greatest commitment you have. <laughs> and character is often concealed. Some of the godliest people in this church are not people you think are the most godly. They're some of the quietest, most unknown people. We'll find out who they are in the kingdom of heaven, won't we? <laughs> All things will be revealed then. Would you stand? Father God, we love you. And uh, we ask your forgiveness for where we are critical. I confess my sin in this. I am critical. I am judgmental. Instead of praying for or encouraging, I'm often thinking other things about parents and their methods. And Lord, I do know that parents 
do commit some sinful acts and they do have sinful practices as parents. I get that. But Father, may my first response be grace, the same grace that you've shown to me in blessing me with children and allowing some of my children to come to know you. Father, I do pray for our children today, for our students, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, Lord. We want them to know you. We want nothing more than for our families to walk with God. And I know there's some, we've taken on, in many ways, second wives, right? We've, not just literally through divorce and remarriage, but we've taken on extra pains and scars in this life that we have to deal with. We can't get rid of them. And so we're calling out to you to help us. Help us be the parents we need to be in the situation that we're in. Help us to do the best we can as we humble ourselves just like Hannah did. She didn't even rebuke the wicked priest Eli when he false accused her. She didn't get on a soapbox and talk about her rights. She said, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm pouring out my heart before God. May that be our cry as parents, Lord. I pray now that if there are any uh, parents in here that need to repent of some of the things they said, they would just say it, to just speak it to you in their hearts right now. Same way Hannah did. She prayed to you and you heard her and she had no audible words coming out of her mouth, but you heard her. What a comfort. And I pray we'd call out to you now. I pray if there's people in here who've not called on the name of Jesus, that they would cry out to you now. You say in your word, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And I pray if anyone here has not done that, they would do that now. I also pray for those that are not yet members and want to plug in and serve through this local body called Piperton. I pray they do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.